Chapter Nine of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter Nine: The Two Escapes. Saul lost no time in going to the Damascus synagogues and preaching that Jesus was the Son of God, to the amazement of his hearers. "'Can we believe our eyes and ears?' they asked one another. "'Is this not the man who harried the people in Jerusalem who called on this name? The very man who came here on purpose to carry them all off in chains to Caiaphas?' Argument, protest, threats only made Saul all the more vigorous. The disappointment and fury of the Jews living in Damascus grew ungovernable. Saul was a turncoat, a renegade, a traitor, a mad blasphemer. The word of the law that Saul had turned against Stephen they now turned on him. Your eye shall not pity him, you shall surely slay him. They planned to assassinate him. Going to the king of the city, Aretas, who was ruling Damascus for the Roman emperor, they managed to persuade him to set a guard against Saul's escaping. At every gate of the city stood figures, with deadly knife concealed, waiting for him. Day and night the grim, sleepless watch went on for the blood of Saul. How could he escape? All round the city stretched the high, unbroken walls. It seemed that the life of Saul, like the life of Stephen, must end under a hail of stones. But, built right into and on the high, broad walls of Damascus City, were houses with windows that sometimes actually hung over the edge. The owner of one of these houses was a Nazarene. So a line of escape was planned, under cover of the dark, and, shrouded in his Jewish traveling cloak, Saul climbed up and crept into the house of this disciple. He went into a room and peered out of the window. All was silent save for the weird howl of a distant jackal on the edge of the orchards and the grunt of a sleeping camel. Overhead the stars made tiny quivering points in the intense darkness of the sky. Looking down through the blackness, Saul tried to gauge the depth from the window to the ground. "'Here are the rope and the basket,' said one, pointing to a deep round rush basket with a stout rope tied to the strong handles. They knelt down, and the voice of Saul rose in prayer to God for Damascus, for the men in the city who were trying to kill him, and for his own safe journeying. The flickering flame of the little baked clay lamp was put out, so that no watcher should see them as they slung the basket from the window, and Saul lowered himself into it. Having listened for the last time for sign or sound of enemies, Slowly, foot by foot, they let down the basket. Saul, whose strong hands practiced in tent-making knew how to grip a rope, held on tightly till he felt the ground under the basket. Stepping on to the ground and shaking the rope to give his friends a farewell signal to draw in the basket again, he turned his face southward and set out through the darkness alone. By the time the dawn came up over his left shoulder he would have crossed the plain and reached the place of shining where Jesus had come to Saul in that blaze of light on his way to Damascus. He was going back to Jerusalem along the road up which we followed him when he came as the scourge of the Nazarenes. Now he was flying as the persecuted disciple of Jesus. He was stepping out of the dangers of Damascus into the greater perils of Jerusalem. 
as he went down past hermon and came at last in sight of the silent hills where the steep place of gadara runs down into the shining busy lake everything would seem different then the sea of galilee was to him the haunt of the great pretender now it was the place where the jesus who was saul's lord had sailed and spoken clear silver water in a cup of gold under the sunlit steeps of gadara it shines his lake the sea of chinnereth the waves he loved the waves that kissed his feet so many blessed days o oh, happy waves o oh, little silver happy sea far famed under the sunlit steeps of gadara passing on through samaria and the hills of judea he at length came out in sight of the walls of jerusalem the walls under which he had watched stephen stoned and of the roof of the temple where gamaliel still sat in honor among the rabbis saul knew that the ferocity of hate which he himself had stirred up among the strict jews would now break out against himself what he would hardly expect was that the nazarene disciples themselves would give him the cold shoulder yet so it happened it was natural after all that they should be afraid of him they knew of old the fiery saul with his quick wit and his passion against the nazarenes certainly he was now declaring that he belonged to their sect was asking to join them as a baptized nazarene declaring that he had the holy spirit within him but they asked themselves was it not just one more crafty attempt to spy out their lives and use the evidence as a witness for destroying them so they held aloof from saul they were afraid of him he was forsaken by pharisee and nazarene he stood where his master had stood all alone there was in jerusalem a man from cyprus a jew with a face of great power and patience older than saul called barnabas he was so enthusiastic as a nazarene that he had sold the land he owned and had given it into the common fund for helping the poorer disciples barnabas had wider ideas than some of the other nazarenes in jerusalem so he went to saul and after a talk with him he was so convinced that he was a true disciple of jesus that he took him to peter and the other apostles as the leaders whom jesus had chosen were called they all stood and sat round him while with glowing face saul told them that the story you have read how on the road to damascus jesus had spoken to him and he had spoken about jesus in damascus and the jews had lain in wait to take and kill him as they listened peter and john and james and the others could see in every line of saul's face in the passion in his eyes and could hear in the sound of his voice that he was a follower of jesus a slave of a great roman and there were many of them in such a city as jerusalem usually had a mark branded on his skin with a hot iron to show that he belonged to a certain master there could be no mistake about it saul's whole character was now marked like that as he said later himself i bear branded on my body the owner's stamp of jesus nor did saul try to keep quiet for safety's sake he went among the very people whom he had raised up against Stephen, into the synagogues where he himself had argued against Stephen, and there spoke with all his power for Jesus. The effect was electrical. Astonishment gave way to anger, anger deepened into hate, and in their hate the Jews, even those from foreign lands, planned secretly to capture, imprison, and kill Saul. 
Someone, perhaps an old fellow student of Saul's who had heard them plotting against his life down in the temple, told the apostles that Saul was to be killed. What was to be done? Simon, Barnabas, Saul, and the other friends got together for a talk. Damascus in the north and Jerusalem in the south, the two great cities of Syria and Palestine, were now closed to him. A highly educated graduate like Saul was not well fitted, as the fiery fisherman Peter was, to speak to the village people among the hills and in the lake country. He must go out of the land, at any rate for the present. He would go home to Tarsus. No sooner was the decision made than they prepared quietly to go part of the way with him. Filling their leather bottles and their food scripts, the little band took up their cloaks and staves. They managed to get Saul unobserved past the Damascus gate out on to the northern road. He had made his second escape from his enemies. Going north for some time, the road then forked to the left and carried them diagonally toward the coast. Resting at noon under the shelter of an olive tree, or at a rest house, they tramped on for fifty miles, talking of their plans for the future. It may well be that, as they went down from the hills and came first in sight of the great sea shining away to the west, Barnabas would lay his hand on the shoulder of his younger friend, and tell Saul that the time would surely come when the two would go out together on a great campaign. There ahead of them Paul and his friends would see the columns of a marble temple that Herod had built on the rising ground. It was Caesarea, the town of Caesar, the Roman capital of Palestine. Coming over the low ridge they saw the stadium, and beyond it for nearly two miles the streets of Caesarea, through which Saul made his way to the harbor side. In the harbor, protected from the gales of the sea by the great crescent-shaped breakwater, the rippling water lapped against the sides of ships from Egypt and Rome, Athens and Cyprus, Tyre and Sidon and Tarsus. Over all and in the middle of this double-curved harbor the grim, strong Roman citadel was built. Finding in harbor a ship bound for Tarsus, Saul took his passage home in her. Soon the rudder paddles were unlashed and the oar sweeps put out to row the ship from the harbor, round the tower at the breakwater end, into the open sea. The mainsail was hoisted, and Saul found himself coasting northward, past Ptolemaeus, Tyre, and Sidon, with the forests of masts in their harbors, on his way to his old home, Tarsus. The last time he had taken that journey he was a confident young student with all the world of learning at his feet, a law career before him. Now he was flying from the anger of the men who had thought of him as the rising star of their party at Jerusalem. Yet we can well believe that his whole being was as buoyant as the ship on whose deck he stood watching the sunset over the sea, for no persecution nor distance could separate him from his unseen companion, whose he was and whom he now lived to serve. Gazing over the bow of the ship he saw, at length, the long low line of the plain where he was born, with the ridge of the mountains beyond. Right ahead was the mouth of the river. As they sailed into the estuary, the galley men were ordered to their benches, the oars were loosed, the blades dipped and flashed in the water of the Sidness, and the oars groaned as the ship slowly forged her way upstream. Then the river opened out into the lake harbor which Saul knew so well. 
No sooner was she made fast at the harbour side than Saul would be ashore and making his way up into the city of Tarsus. We do not know whether his mother or father was alive to greet him. Certainly if his father was alive, he, as a strict Pharisee, would be horrified at the new teaching that his son had accepted. There are some reasons to believe, though certainty is quite impossible, that his father was so furious that he turned Saul out of house and home into absolute poverty. If he did this, it would come as a terrible, though not unexpected, blow to Saul. With all his own high temper, he was as sensitive as he was passionate. He would feel the wound of his father's anger like the cut of a whip. But he would turn his hands to the labor of tent-making, and his speech to the story of Jesus Christ. He was learning the secret of being content in plenty and hunger, in wealth and poverty. In him who strengthens me, he declared, I am ready for anything. End of chapter 9